you have your Bible, please turn to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. If you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, you don't own one, we have Bibles for you. You can pick them up on the back table over there, or there's usually some over here, but grab one of those, put your name in it, keep it. It's yours to have and to read. We want to make sure everybody has the Word of God in their hands and have it available. This story in Exodus, as God rescues his people out of uh, literal slavery, uh, was an opportunity for him to demonstrate also that he was pulling them from a spiritual slavery out of death and that he was rescuing them, not to just a new land, but to himself. And so in this story, we're watching that progress as he's leading them towards that deliverance. And as that happens, one of the things that keeps coming up in the story is that the people keep sinning and they keep disobeying and they keep complaining. And so it's gotten to such a point where um, God is really frustrated with these people and Moses is frustrated with these people. Uh, the other week we had our Valentine's supper and um, in the kitchen they were taking care of the food and they had steak and they also had baked potatoes. And you know how it is with baked potatoes in a, in a kitchen like that and it's hot and you are juggling those things from one to another, right? We call that game hot potato. It's so hot, I don't want it, you take it. And we almost do that with our own hands and that happened over there and it happens when you have a hot potato. And it was happening in the wilderness with God's people because they had been so sinful. It seems as though sometimes God's like, I don't want them, you take them, Moses. And Moses said, I don't want them, you take them, God. So they're playing hot potato with the people of Israel out in the wilderness. But um, God and his character and his love, uh, he wasn't going to drop them. They're not too hot for him. He's going to go pursue them and save them um, and rescue them. Ultimately being a picture of what Jesus does, not saying, you're too sinful, I'm dropping you. But rather, you're so sinful, only I can save you. And that's what the story is. That's the old, old story. So let's go to Exodus chapter 33 and take a look at, at this. Now, uh, they just got done having made an idol. Uh, God has destroyed that idol, saying, I'm the only one. You serve me only. And so they're at this mountain, at Mount Sinai. And God says to Moses here, chapter 33, verse 1, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Whoa. God says, that's fine. I, I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that there was going to be a promised land. And when they got there, I was going to send all the people who were there out of the way. And it'd be a land flowing with milk and honey. Didn't mean that they were just going to have milks in the fridge. What, that was a saying of like, it's going to be prosperous. It's going to provide for you. That's fine. I'll send them up there and they can have all the goods that I promised. But as far as a relationship, I can't go there. They're too sinful of a people. So if they want all the goods, go. But I can't go if it's going to be like that. And yet we read on, fortunately, we read on. Verse 4 says, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Oreb onward. And so as the people hear this, it's like, that is not good. 
like the God of gods that we have seen him part the Red Sea, put the put the plagues on Egypt. If he's not going with us, we're in trouble. So they get they get really desperate and they realize. That they need God, he's got to go, he's got to go. And it says that they recognize there's, a, there's something wrong. And God, God is like, take off your ornaments. That would have been all their jewelry. That would have been the stuff that they were adorning themselves with. In fact, the word that's used here for ornaments, um, they would also use for the, the, the trappings on a horse, the trimmings, the, the special buckles that you might put on in a show. Or, 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 and, and God is saying, take off all the ornamentation. Take off the things that make you think you more, are more than who you are. Take off the things that you think mask the fact that what's really inside is sinful. Isn't that what we do when we put on really pretty church clothes? And all the guard that comes with it and say, if I put on these actions, surely God will think I'm good over here. But deep inside, God doesn't want all the ornamentation. He wants what's true. He wants what's real. And so even in the New Testament, as Paul writes to Timothy, he says, tell the women to not adorn themselves with jewelry and braided hair and that. I just want their hearts. Like, I want modesty. I, I wanted them who they truly are, that they would love me, and that, that would be displayed in who they are. I don't need ornamentation. And so what he's telling the people of, uh, in Exodus is, like, stop playing the game. Stop being churchy. This is about you and me in relationship. So take off your ornaments. And they did from there on. Now we're going to move forward to... Uh, verse 12, the Lord used to meet with, with Moses and there was a tent where he would meet with him. So he speaks this to Moses in verse 12. Moses, uh, Moses actually says to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. So Moses is saying, God, you have to go with us. Do not, do not send us anywhere if you're not with us. And so we're getting this repeated theme. If God is with us, that's where we want to be. If he's not with us, who cares what's in the promised land? If he's not with us, who cares what we're wearing on our bodies and what we wear into a tabernacle? It doesn't matter. What matters is that God is with us. If he's not with us, we're as good as dead. There's no reason for us to take on the journey of faith if it's not us with God. It's all about his presence because it's all about him. It's all about him. But sometimes we get so carried away with what the Lord can give us. And what's going to be in the midst of that, that we don't understand what's really there is him. And so suddenly he's going to show him to Moses. Take a look at what happens as God is really revealing himself to Moses here. It says in verse 17, then, then the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, 
please show me your glory. That's a bold request saying, show me your brilliance. Show me who you really are. I don't need all this other clutter. I want to be together with you, God. So show me your glory. And so verse 19, and he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to, uh, to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man should not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So the Lord gives an opportunity for himself to be revealed to Moses. He says, here's what I'm going to show you how good I am. But if I was to come and just show you all of my brilliance, you would be destroyed. So I'm going to put you in a safe place. So here you go. Go by this cliff and I'm going to tuck you in this cleft. And after I go by, you're just going to kind of see the back of me. You're going to see the brilliance of me, but not in its full strength. It's kind of like this. You remember uh, not too long ago, there was a, a, a solar eclipse. Remember that? And, and a lot of people wanted to go out and just stare up, but we couldn't. Why? Because the brilliance of the sun would burn out your eyeball. It's truth. It's there. It's beautiful. But you couldn't just look straight at it. You needed something to kind of shade it a little bit. But it still showed you the reality and the beauty of what was in the sky, right? And so the Lord said, Moses, I'm going to show you the reality of my beauty, but I can't show it to you at full strength. If you do, you're going to die. So let me show you what you can handle. Let me give to you what you need to know. Let me demonstrate for you how good I am. And so here's this moment where Moses is there and he has the presence of God in this relationship. And God says, I'm going to show myself to you in a wonderful way. Get ready for it. I'm going to show you all you can. He goes on in chapter 34, verse 1, and says, The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. If you remember, they had sinned. Moses smashed the first covenants as a sign of that covenant being broken. So God's really saying here, we're going to do this covenant thing again. We're going to get back into this relationship with the people. So get these tablets ready. Verse two says, be ready by morning and then come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and that no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, just like he'd promised. And then he says this, verse six is great. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, Please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And God said, Behold, I am making a covenant 
Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And that mountain, Moses said, show me your glory. So the Lord says, you want to see my glory? Here it is. I'm hiding you in the cleft. I'm going to reveal it to you. It's going to be a little bit shaded, but you're going to see it in its truth. And as the Lord passes by Moses, he not only had the name there, but then he he had this description. I want to look real quick at verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I don't know if you recognize this, but we had actually read out of the Psalms earlier at the beginning of the uh, of the service, Psalm 103, where the writer used that exact same language. In fact, the Israelites took that passage of how the Lord described himself being merciful and gracious, that he was abounding in steadfast love, that he was slow to anger. And they would use that repeatedly to say, well, we need to remember who the Lord is. Remember this, that he has been kind to us, despite the fact that he should have smashed us and destroyed us and left us to die. But who is the Lord when he's really revealed? And he's slow to be angry. Isn't it good when you've been in trouble that you have had a father or a mother who've been slow to get angry? I know I've appreciated that. It doesn't mean that they don't deal with the situation. It doesn't mean that they don't deal with what's happened. But it's, they come at you with a compassion. They come with a graciousness and a merciful attitude that says, I'm not here to destroy you. I'm here to help correct you. I want to bring you into safety. I want to set you on the right path. And I'm bringing you into this relationship you see so much of the time we go on with our religion we put on our ornaments and we go through our religious system and say here i got I'm, I'm, I'm presenting myself to you but if we were to pass by before the lord and just like his glory was revealed in trueness what if he revealed us in truth our ornaments taken off of our fanciness, the the ways we dress ourselves up. And he really revealed what the motivations of our heart were. Would he see that we really desire him? Or would he see all we cared for was to get out of the hard times and to make it to the promised land flowing with milk and honey? I think it'd be really revealing what we truly desire if God showed us that. But he knows it. And he does begin to show it to us. But imagine what that's like. It's like uh, tomorrow is my son Jude's 10th birthday. He reaches double digits. And uh, he's not in here today. He's helping with the nursery. But, but, but Jude turns 10 tomorrow. We've got a classic Hudson birthday planned. You know, we've got the breakfast in bed. And they get to choose what they want. And we'll have balloons that we'll have uh, placed around. And, and he gets to choose what he wants for dinner. So we're having BLTs and he gets to choose his dessert. We've got all that. And, and there's presents that are sitting there and there's cards and all those things. And wouldn't it be so sad if today all I could think about was I cannot wait to eat Jude's cake. I cannot wait to be in a place full of beautiful balloons. I can't wait to be there and to experience all. I get to have some of that breakfast too. Wouldn't it be so sad if if there was one to be celebrated, but the only thing I could think about was all that I was going to get in the midst of that celebration? That's how God feels. When he says there was going to be a great celebration of life and what I've done for you, and we say, oh man, I can't wait to get there because all I want is all that you're going to give me. 
I just want to eat your cake, Jesus. I, I actually don't care about you. I'm not celebrating your life. I'm celebrating the fact that I'm going to be pleased that day. That's good. God meant to give us joy. But man, we get so carried away with what our true motivations are. In fact, recently it was brought to my attention. They said, some people want to know why you don't like to sing this song in the church. Why you don't want the choir to sing this song. And the song was, well, I'll read it for you. The mansion over the hilltop. It goes like this. I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransom will shine, I want a gold one that's silver lined. I've got a mansion over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder, we will never more wander, but walk the streets that are purest gold. Though often tempted, tormented, and tested, and like the prophet, my pillow a stone, and though I find here no permanent dwelling, I know he'll give me a mansion my own. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old, and someday yonder we will never more wander, but walk the streets that are purest gold. Don't think me poor or deserted or lonely. I'm not discouraged. I'm heaven-bound. I'm just a pilgrim in search of a city. I want a mansion, a harp, and a crown. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder, we will never more wander, but walk the streets that are purest gold. That's how this, the song goes. And I'll tell you something that I know. I have no doubt that there have been people that have sung that song with totally pure intentions of being with Jesus. And I also have no doubt that on most occasions when I hear people anywhere, including this church, talk about getting there, that most what often talk about is my mansion, my street of gold, and in the song saying, well, right now I just got a little silver and gold. But one day it's going to be silver lined. One day it's going to be propped up and it's all mine. And you see how that can get wayward when God peels back our heart. What do I really want? Is it is it Jesus that I want? And I know I can come at I can come at that and I've probably made some mad. You can fire me. My intent isn't to make you mad. My intent isn't to come and tell you, hey, these songs are bad or this. My intent is to say. When you stand before the Lord and your heart is revealed, will he see a desire for him? Because if today and tomorrow and in this life. You do not seek him and desire him. Why would you ever want to go into eternity when the scriptures say it's all going to be about him? We're not going to be there for the mansion. It's not going to be about the street of gold. All those are going to be passages to get closer to Jesus. It's all about him. And so we lift him up and those things, when they be there, it'll be because Jesus will be there. The question is, when we sing those songs, when we do these things and we express the fact that the scripture does say there will be a street singular of gold. And he's preparing a place, his whole intent in ever saying those things. Is that he would be there. In that celebration. Is it for him or is it for me? 
And we've seen in this story what happens when the people have said, let's have a celebration with gold. Lord, we need you and we need food. Oh, we don't like what you gave us. Lord, we need help because we want to live longer. But you know what? We don't want the Son of God that you sent. We've become dissatisfied with what the Lord gave us. And what did he give us? Himself. Himself. And so throughout these scriptures, we continue to find that it's all about Jesus, isn't it? And if we're disappointed with who Jesus is now, we don't want to be in his presence now. There will come a day when people will come before and they'll come to step in. And Jesus said, people will say, Lord, Lord. Didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles? Didn't we? And you said, depart from me. I never knew you. You didn't want me in this life. Why would you ever want me in the next? You just wanted me for my things. It's truly revealing of our hearts. It really is. Now, the thing is this, I can't come to any one of you and tell you where your heart is. Sometimes I don't know where my own heart is. That's where Jesus has to come and examine and say, why are you doing, why are you singing that song? Oftentimes when we talk about getting there, it's because we've got a number of people we want to see. And I don't want to feel this certain pain in my body anymore. And rarely in those conversations are people seeing I cannot wait to look at his face. I cannot wait to see one that is now undimmed, but it says that that day we will see him in full. He won't have to hide us in a cleft. He will come and say, come on, y'all. See how beautiful I am. So that's why when it gets to the book of Revelation, we get in the stories of what does it look like when he comes back and throws open the doors and invites in his people. You know what they can't stop doing? They don't go get consumed with their things. They don't go off to their mansion. They sit right before the throne and say, he is worthy. Look how good he is. He is gracious and he is just and he saved me. By how? By dying on a cross and saving me. He went to battle for me and said, now I'm going to spend the rest of eternity around this place worshiping him. That's all we can do. I don't know about you. I don't want God to look at me and say, I'm playing hot potato here. This guy just seems not to want me. This guy says if he just puts on a button shirt and some iron pants that I would like him better. It don't matter if I had a hoodie and tennis shoes on today. The Lord's going to look inside of this chest and say, but I want to know this. Do you want my presence in your life or not? All of us have to ask that question. At the very end, the people with Jesus will sing the songs. And in the book of Revelation, it says beautiful things, much like in Exodus where it said he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love. And he pours that out. And this passage has always caught my eye. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 says, To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory. That means adorn him. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If that passage right there doesn't satisfy you, nothing in eternity will. Nothing in this life will. 
And as Jesus continues to show you, man, I want to give you myself and I want to give you life. I want to take away your sin and I want you to live with me forever. Be satisfied with that. And then go sing all the songs about Jesus. And that's what we're going to do to close. I have a song that's going to sing these exact words out of Revelation 1. And it's probably new to you. You don't have to sing along at all with me. But as we're going to sing, I'm going to sing it three times. And if you want to jump in, you're more than welcome to. But as I'm singing it, if, if you feel you need to come down to the front and pray or pray right where you're at or go next to a neighbor and pray. And you say, Lord, uh, friend, would you pray with me that the Lord would be present in my life and that I would be present with him, that I would desire him and not all the things that he wants to give me, just him. Know this, when you go to the Lord, And it's about him and you and in that presence. Does the scripture not say, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you? Him first. So today, if you need to come and seek him first, listen to this word, because this is what's going to be for all of eternity. Him first, to him the glory, to him the dominion, 